Buon pomeriggio tutti. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Kimberly's Italy. My name is Kimberly Holcomb. Sono Tommaso. <laughs> and that would be Tommaso, <laughs> podcast producer extraordinaire and my partner in life who's getting a little cocky now thinking that he's fluent in Italian. Oh, I know a few words to chuck in once in a while. <laughs> he's learning and I'm very impressed and happy you're doing so. So welcome everyone and welcome back to our new episode, which is highlighting our second to last day of the epic road trip. Sad to see it come to an end, but we were in Rome and I wanted to make sure that Tommaso could see all of the important historic and architectural buildings that I knew he would love and ones that he hadn't seen in the previous two days. Remember, this was his first time in La Bella Città di Roma. <laughs> Certainly not my last, that's for darn that's sure. Right. So we decided to walk on the other side of the Tiber because our palazzo where we were staying is on the east side of the Tiber and we were staying in the Spanish Steps area. And from there, we just, you know, could go anywhere and everywhere throughout the city, but we hadn't crossed the Tiber and walked its entirety of the main part of the city on that west side. So I wanted to cross the bridge at the Piazza Augustus Imperatore, which is the piazza where Augustus's mausoleum is housed. However, it has been under a massive renovation since at least 2017, and you can't see much of it at all, just basically the top of the mausoleum at this point. However, like I described in previous episode, they put these cloth barriers up that have the printed version, architectural rending, rendering of what that particular renovation will look like. So you had a bit of an idea, but I wanted him to see the actual mausoleum of Augustus. You can actually currently go into the museum part that opened last year in 2021, but we didn't do that because we had a full itinerary for the day. However, the ruins of Augustus tomb were started in 28 BC and was commissioned by Augustus himself. That's just astounding <laughs> that right. started back then. And we're now renovating. Exactly. Well, it's gone under a few renovations. I know, before. but I mean, you know, so tell me about this building that you're renovating. Well, it was uh, 28 BC. Right. Needs a little work. <laughs> I think there are specialist contractors for that. Right. Old Italians. Anyway, let me give you a little history class recap. Okay. Augustus was the son, the adopted son of Julius Caesar, the dictator of Rome. And Julius was stabbed to death in the Roman Senate by several rebellious senators on March 15th of 44 BC. And Brutus also jumped in there. Yes, he did. At two Brute. Oh, right. Oh. <laughs> anyway, also from that event, that horrible event, do you remember that expression, beware the Ides of March? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That stems from this horrible murder because in those days, the calendars had three words, one for the beginning of the month, one for the middle, and one for the end. Ides was the 
name for the middle of the month, the 15th. So beware the Ides of March, for you too could be stabbed. So Augustus then came to power as the first emperor of ancient Rome and declared himself the first citizen of Rome. And shortly after that, I guess he decided to have this massive mausoleum built for himself and his family. Might as well get started. Right. It took a while to build things back then. Exactly. You weren't running down the street to he Home Depot. He was 30 yes. and people didn't live that long, actually. So maybe but, he was ahead of his time. Mm. Anyway, so a lot has happened to this mausoleum over the last 2,049 years. Different owners claiming right to use it as a defensive castle. At one point, it was used as an arena on the top of the mausoleum where they had a type of bullfight and other tournaments. But finally, it was reclaimed by the municipality of Rome in the late 1800s. And then Mussolini got his hands on it. Not the mausoleum per se, but the entire piazza. He had more than 100 ancient Roman buildings surrounding the mausoleum demolished. And in their place, he put his mark on what became the fascist architecture movement of Italy. Interesting. I'd like to see some photographs of the pre-Mussolini area. Right. It was probably just like the rest of Rome. Yes. All Roman ruins, like the Forum or something. But Be- Beautiful. Yes. And Sadly, both- he did this, but he was the ruler, and he did exactly what he wanted to do. And when I went to this piazza a couple of weeks earlier to meet with the Vespa tour drivers that gave the first kitten club girls that amazing three hour ride through Rome on the back of a Vespa. I met the company under the portico of one of these buildings. And all I could think about was the Stazione Centrale in Milano, also built by Mussolini. It felt exactly the same, just heavy, big behemoths. Anyway, it's all part of history, but what a juxtaposition from that circular brick mausoleum of Augustus to these heavy, heavy buildings of fascism. Behemoths of fascism. Yes. So we crossed the Tiber there at Ponte Cavour. Ponte means bridge. And we headed south. And the first building that made us stop in our tracks and just stare in awe was the Palazzo di Giustizia the Palace of Justice, which is the equivalent of like our Supreme Court house in D.C. Wasn't it just mind-blowing? Amazing, amazing. It was started in the late 1800s and finished around 1910, but the irony is it looked so Renaissance and Baroque. Clearly, the designers were influenced by those two styles. Yes, it looks more Parisian than it does Roman. Yes, yes. Particularly because it's on the Tiber. Right. But there we were in Rome. It's made of travertine limestone, like just about every building in Rome. It has life-size marble sculptures, and out front of the main entrance are 10 freestanding life-size sculptures of prominent ju- jurists and justices from the past, previous to late 1800s, throughout history, I guess. And also on top, just like the other building from our previous episode is another bronze quadriga, the chariot pulled by horses with the leader or the ruler of the time. It's an incredible building. And we just literally stood in awe for so long. And there's a traffic light in front of it. Lots of, uh, you know, police directing traffic in and out. You could only get in, obviously, if you had something to do with uh 
trial or something going on or if you work there. So it was like busy mayhem. And we didn't care. We stood right in the median between the two directions of traffic. And just, I took a million pictures and all I wanted to do was be inside it. Which, you know, standing in that median may not have been the brightest idea that we, (laughs) given Roman traffic. (laughs) Anyway, we carried on and next up was Castello Sant'Angelo. You cannot miss this structure for sure. This massive red brick circular building was also built as a tomb, but for the emperor Hadrian. Apparently, he wanted to outdo his predecessor, Augustus, so he had his built even larger to house himself and his family. It was finished in 139 AD. Imagine that. So much (laughs) newer than Augustus's, right? And yet... Modern architecture. Right. Um, Yet it was larger and also like Augustus's mausoleum, it was later used for many other many other purposes down the road. I mean, sadly, I mean, it was purchased by other people. It was taken over by the papal state and used as a place to incarcerate prisoners. Well, it also was, it was an escape hatch for, because there's a tunnel that goes from St. Peter's Basilica right across to it. To Castello San Angelo? That's a long tunnel. Yeah. Holy cow. And one of the popes hung out there for a while, like five years. Because? Uh, he was being persecuted for some, you know, probably stealing something from somebody. Interesting. <laughs> the bridge that leads to Castello San Angelo from the west side of the Tiber, I'm sorry, from the east side of the Tiber, is lined with these angels, heavenly angels, big wings carved from marble, and they're lit, a, they're lit at night, and it is completely magical to walk across that bridge at night with a Costello lit as well at night with all these angels lining your way, guiding you to the castle. And a couple of weeks prior to the trip with you, I was there with the first kitten club and one of the women and I were walking around at night for hours and hours. And we walked on the bridge, which is Ponte Costello Sant'Angelo, the proper name of the bridge. And we were taking pictures and just looking at everything, taking it all in. And all of a sudden, we saw this couple, and you could see from afar, they were very well dressed, like she had a long evening gown on, and he was in a suit. And they were standing in the one door below the top where the chariot sculpture is, and they were backlit from the light inside of the building. And all of a sudden, they stepped through the door out onto this circular terrace on the top of the castle. And they stood on uh, against the stone terrace wall and looked out at I, Rome below them. Maybe they rented out for weddings. No, I think it had something to do with the G20 that was going on that weekend. Ah, the G20. It was G20. probably a private event. With the G20. Because it was very, very formal and beautiful. We stood there and looked at this couple. It was like they were the king and queen looking down at their kingdom. and They probably felt like that, too. Right? <laughs> I and, would. And uh, Sally Ann actually said, geez, I wish that was us right now. <laughs> it was like a scene from a movie, and it was just absolutely beautiful. Anyway, when we were there during the daylight, it was still just magnificent. Anyway, it's a breathtaking structure day or night, but if you're there at night walking around, I highly recommend walking at the beginning of the bridge 
to Castello Sant'Angelo at night. After we finally left the castle, we took a right onto Via della Conciliazione. And that word alone is a tongue twister, and I'm not going to repeat it. And I'm not going to attempt it. <laughs> right? Okay. Yeah, what about you and your new found love of the language? Hey, I, I surprised you this weekend with benzina. Yes, you did. That means gas, <laughs> petrol for the car. <laughs> anyway, this road is the renowned walkway to Piazza San Pietro, St. Peter's Basilica. So it was a Sunday, and remember how crowded it was? Tommaso, we actually were a little hesitant about the crowds mm-hmm. at the moment. And mm-hmm. for the first time, we put on our mask outside. Right. And there were a lot of other people doing it as well. We weren't the only ones. Exactly. Absolutely. So we took the very long walk with the masses, but it was orderly and not annoying at all. Just a lot of people want to go to St. Peter's on a Sunday. So we were part of that group. This walk delivers you directly into the middle of Piazza San Pietro and the start of the colonnade. And this colonnade and the piazza itself and the church, everything about it, was the subject of many, many classes in my art history courses all through college. And that's where my love and admiration of Bernini comes from. So John Lorenzo Bernini was a sculptor and an architect, and he designed this colonnade to give the feeling of embrace to those that enter the piazza. And it also allows you to direct your eyes directly to the front of the basilica. Yet he left the two curved colonnades off to the side with an open entrance where we stood, where we entered. And that was also a symbol of welcome to all that entered. It's one of the most famous piazzas in the world for good reason. And weren't you just like, kind of gobsmacked when you stood there? Well, I was gobsmacked because when you try to think about lining all those columns up. 284 of them. And building it and, you know, without a laser or something. I mean, it'd be really interesting to see how far off they are from symmetry. If someone were to actually measure that with a laser. Right. I'm sure they have. And I'm sure it's pretty damn perfect, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's just wild that they could actually do that. No kidding. There are, like I said, 284 columns, and they're all unfluted. For those of you column fans out there, just meaning smooth, no flutes in them. And they have the Doric capital on top. So to me, that simplicity just added to the beauty of the symmetry. You just stood there and turned to the right, turned to the left, and everything was just like the perfect encapsulation of geometry, architecture, everything all at once. And even though there was a big crowd, it wasn't the same size crowd that would be there in the high season. Right. But that crowd that was with us dispersed, they seemed to go to the line to right. get they wanted, into they the basilica. In. Right. And we thought, you know what? We'll come back at okay. the end of the day. Or Church the lady, day. I didn't need to go in. When, <laughs> I would have actually enjoyed going oh, into you that will. In, You're in, going the, to, in the in the future. You're definitely going in the future. It is unlike any other church for sure. But every time I stand in that colonnade over the, since I was the first visit there when I was 20, I mean, I am just in enamored by it. It's a, to me, like this peaceful place of beauty. I love everything about it. Anyway. I mean, could you just see building that in the 1500s and someone going, 
walk over there and tell them to move that over two centimeters. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> move that column, I mean, move just... that marble column or travertine, I should say. It's not the 1500s. I will say it I'm was sorry. built. You're a little off by a hundred years. Oops. It was the piazza. You're ta- you're thinking about St. Peter's that was started in 1506. Ah. The piazza itself was built in the late 1600s. And the church started in 1506, St. Peter's, and completed in 1626. So 120 years to complete that church. And I was thinking about it, let's say... It's because it was a long walk back and forth. Right. But, I mean, obviously it took a long time to build things like that in those days without the aid of machines and how they moved each column all the way into the city. So clearly it took 126 years because of the massive effort involved to produce such an amazing building. But think of, let's say, for example, let's say the United Nations wanted to build a new building in Manhattan of that same grand scale, more incredible than St. Peter. Would it take 120 years? It would take 120 years to get it approved. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I teed myself up for that one. (laughs) Okay, good point. So back to my buddy Bernini, to think that he was born 30 years or so after Michelangelo died, yet he completed the vision that Michelangelo had for the entire concept of San Pietro. Michelangelo designed the dome of St. Peter's. He designed in his, on paper, not as precise as as Bernini, because Bernini actually, I think, from my history class, as I recall, was basically the first architect to put perspective on paper. So anyway, he finished Michelangelo's entire concept. And I think since Bernini was also a renowned sculptor, I think it came full circle. Those guys in those days did everything. You know, architecture, sculpture, painting. Look at Leonardo da Vinci. We can't even go there. They didn't know any CAD though. No, they didn't. Well, Michelin, uh, sorry, Leonardo da Vinci thought of airplanes before anybody else. See, so. yes, yes. Anyway, um, creative guys in the old days. So, like I said, we didn't go into the church because the line was kind of long. It was a Sunday. I said, we'll just come back tomorrow. And besides, the skies looked like they were getting darker and darker. So as we started to leave, Right as we're walking out of the piazza, we saw this family trying to take a selfie of themselves with the St. Peter's in the, in the background. So I offered to take their picture. They were really nice. We just had a quick chat and they had just moved to Lake Como. He was, uh, took a military position stationed in Lake Como. And the little girls were telling us that they want to move across the, the lake to a town called Cernobo. I was like, <laughs> Chernobyl? Like, yes, yes, that's it. So I told him it was my favorite village and that I basically lived there every weekend for six years and that I knew they'd love it. And it was so cute. You know, they probably saw that. Isn't there a carousel downtown in Chernobyl? Right by in the park where you get, where you get uh, ice cream? Occasionally in the summer. You're yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they saw that. Maybe they saw that. Anyway, I just, I felt good about sharing the fact that I think they'd have a very happy life living in Chernobyl. So then we started to walk to Trastevere for lunch. And like I said, the skies were getting dark. And then, boom, all of a sudden, those skies opened. 
And Mo- I, moments I, to be forgotten. Right. I pulled up the hood of my uh, stylish little raincoat and I looked over at Tomasto and I said, why is it that you deliberately decided this morning to not bring that small and, you know, convenient collapsible umbrella? Because I carried it all the way to Italy. Why use it? <laughs> well, within, I don't know, five blocks, you were soaked. He was completely drenched. I was fine. Thank you very yeah. much. Anyway, so I knew this uh, general area of Trastevere where I knew of some good restaurants. So we started walking there, but it was literally pouring so hard. I didn't feel like stopping and pulling out my phone in the rain. So I was like, let's just go in this. Keep going right here. Take a right. Blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, Tommaso sees a, a street sign, Via del Moro. And that just triggered El Moro di Venezia, which was an America's Cup boat. And I was like, oh, this was good luck. Let's go down here. Right. Well, Tommaso sailed against Venezia di del no, Moro. No, you did not? No. No, the, 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 the year I did it was... Oh, Azura, another year. Okay. Azura. Okay, sorry. Well, you did sail with against Italians, I should say. I have sailed against Italians a lot. Right. Anyway, so we took Via del Moro. A couple windows down, we look in. We see this lovely uh, interior, jam-packed with Italians. I didn't see a foreigner inside. I was like, this is it. Because... Sunday late lunch in Italy is a very important meal out. You either are at your mama's house or you go out. You don't go just to a friend's place. You're in a restaurant or at La Mama's. Every meal in Italy is important to me. I just want you to know that. <laughs> well, why? what I'm saying is it was late Sunday and it was Sunday lunch. And we were getting hangry. No, what I'm saying is it was crowded because know, it's Sunday. And yes, you were hangry. And wet. You were hangry and wet. So I was like, let's see if there's a table. We walk in, really nice gentleman comes up. He's like, see, and we're drenched. Everyone else is dry as a bone. We're like, hmm. would you happen to have a table? He goes, see, sí, there's one left. Okay. So we're like, this is fate. This is luck. So Ristorante Vanda on Via del Moro was our savior. Go there. Yes, it was awesome. It was so awesome that we stayed for like three hours. Why not? <laughs> Why not? So, of course, what do we do? We sit down and we order an Aperol spritz. And I kind of think, Tommaso, you took the like cloth napkin and put it between the back of your sweater and your neck to no. soak up the rain. <laughs> no, I actually went to the men's room. Oh, good idea. <laughs> and dried off underneath the... Um, Hair dryer. I the, mean, the, the hand dryer. The hand dryer, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so we ordered an Aperol spritz, and then in our first course, we split a artichoke Roman style, which is a must at least once in Rome. The Roman style, it's their own delicioso. Very good. And then what did you have? Tagliatelle con tartufo, which was tagliatelle with black truffles. Oh, let me just describe it this way. He took a bite. My plate wasn't even put down in front of me yet, but that's okay. It's fine to do in Italy. He took a bite. And, discreet, he, and discreetly moaned. No, you closed your eyes. <laughs> and you just and discreetly and moaned. Just, <laughs> just chewing so slowly. I was like, oh, it must be good. So I asked for a bite and it was da morire. Very good. And then my pasta arrived, which is a 
was a penne arrabbiata, which is sometimes my most favorite go-to pasta. I absolutely love it in Italy. I can't make it myself that well. So it was such a good lunch and we just had the nicest time. And like I said, the decor was beautiful. They had shelves with wine bottles on it and a bricked vaulted ceiling, nice lighting for an Italian restaurant. Yes. Nice lighting. And it was, it was, you, it was interstavery and that is a very hip area. And it was a very hip restaurant, but it yes. wasn't overly hip. It was just perfect. It was so perfect, as a matter of fact, that we didn't want it to end. And Tommaso could look out the window. I was looking toward the wine room. <laughs> <laughs> you were looking out the window and you said, still kind of raining. Mi scusa, signore. Possiamo avere un altro Aperol Spritz? <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Could we have another two Aperol Spritzes? So we did. Finally got the bill, we left, we walked outside, and I kid you not, it stopped raining. It was another, like, divine intervention, all because I think we had gone to Piazza San Pietro. We didn't even go inside, and we had this good luck. <laughs> I'm going to stick with that. From there, we walked over the bridge back to the other side, to the east side of the Tiber, and we chose to walk over the one island in the Tiber, Apparently, there is another island, but I never saw it. I even looked on Google Maps last night. Can't find it. But apparently, there is one other. But this little Isola Tiber, the Tiber Island in the middle, in between Trastevere and the Jewish ghetto, the Forum area, has a bridge. And the bridge that we walked on, well, obviously has a bridge on either end. So the bridge we walked on from our side is a reconstructed ancient bridge, but the other one that leaves from the island to the east side of the city, to the east side of the river, is the oldest bridge in Rome, built in 62 BC. Really? And I am so sad that we did not know that. You didn't know then, it then. Right? So that kind of thing is awesome to think about. Oh, I walked over a bridge from 62 BC, but it was frustrating that we didn't know it then. Right. And this comes down to, I think, unless you're a historian or an archaeologist, it's it's almost impossible to remember the history and the dates of all these places because they're everywhere. Everywhere you turn, every everywhere you look, is something so mesmerizing and significant and you want to take it all in. So at one point you kind of just, they don't blur with each other, but they are... They meld together. But you're still in awe of everyone. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, just to think of the Tiber being that old and people walking across it all those years and using it as they have, you know, the Tiber is very different than, say, the Seine. The Seine is, I mean, it's almost to the point where you can clean it. They've cleaned it with a toothbrush along the walls Correct. and everything and, garden, and gardening and everything. The Tiber is very different. The Tiber seems very natural. There's weeds. Exactly. There's little shrubs. There's none of those. Well, we didn't see any of those tour boats with the glass top like you do right. in Paris. So right. that's a good point. So it was it was very different, but it's been there so long. Eventually, in another couple of thousand years, <laughs> when the Seine, we'll see if it's as clean as it is and tidy as it is now. The island itself, Isola Tiberina, is mostly famous for the hospital that still exists today. And I am not exactly sure how you 
would get an ambulance to that hospital. I didn't see any roads, driving roads, because we walked on the walking bridges and either end, I don't know, somehow they get the people there. But it was also very, very famous, played a huge role during World War II because a Roman doctor made up a sickness. He just gave it a name, he made up a sickness, and all of a sudden the hospital was filled with people that had this sickness and they were Jews. He hid Jewish people there during World War II, which is a beautiful thing. Luckily, the Germans didn't know that. So when we left and walked over the Ponte Fabrizio, which is the name of that ancient bridge from 62 BC, we ended up at the Teatro Marcello, directly across from the island. And this is an ancient Roman theater that began with our buddy Caesar and was finished by his son Augustus in... Yet another old one. 13 BC. Right? (laughs) It's all old. It's so old. So that you can't even keep track. Man, that's old. Anyway, from there, we traipsed our way through part of the Jewish quarter, then past the Torre di Argentina. The sun was going down and our goal was to head back toward our palazzo in the Spanish Steps area to say goodbye to our guests that were there for the weekend. So we're just meandering, taking a right and a left close to our destination. So we thought, and all of a sudden we came upon the back of a curved circular building with brick, really worn brick. Yeah, dark, kind of eerie. It was kind of eerie, kind of dramatic, Mm -hmm. but the sun was setting also. It was getting dark. And we were like, what is this? How come we haven't seen this ancient looking thing in all of our walks in the last few days? So we turned... Walked the side of it and boom, what's in front? The Pantheon. It was the rear of the Pantheon. And we had walked on the west side of it and the front a thousand, well, several times, but we hadn't seen the rear of it. And it was amazing. So from there, we scooted back to our palazzo to say goodbye to Bruce and Elena that were taking the train back to Milano. I want to say one thing about the back of the Pantheon. It's probably the only undecorated piece of stone in Rome. I mean, it's just brick all the way around the back. It's not decorated at all. No. It's very utilitarian. Right. But it probably, like every other building, Was had been clad. At, okay. At the time. With a travertine. Right. Anyway, but man, it was different. It was awesome. So that's another little travel tidbit. Walk behind the Pantheon. As amazing as it is in front and inside, the, the exterior in the back was dramatic. Anyway, Bruce and Elena left. We all sat in our Palazzo living room for a minute and discussed our days, what everyone did and saw. And then, of course, it was time again for another dinner. And the beauty of this neighborhood, the Spanish Steps area, is that there are so many restaurants to choose from. So Livia and Ninetta had seen one earlier in the day and suggested it. So we went there five minute walk away. We go inside and I have to say the the joy of being able to literally just walk five minutes away from where you're staying after you walked all day, eight hours and saw so much. And we're so happy with everything that you absorbed that day to be able to just walk around the corner. And all of a sudden you're ensconced in this other super inviting environment with friendly locals that own it, that work there, that are serving you and delicious food. And you just think, this is the 
beauty of Italy, basically. I mean, 90% of every meal I had on this epic road trip was just like that. It leads me to Google Rome real estate once a week just to have a look. <laughs> he has been looking at apartments in uh, what was that neighborhood? Um, oh, I forget. Yeah, I, I hadn't heard of it. And then he showed me. I was like, OK, yes. <laughs> not bad. Anyway, I think we'll leave you here and finish up with next week's episode on Kitten Club's two last day. However, before I totally sign off, I just want to share a story about a phone conversation I had with a woman whose trip I am planning for her and her husband. So we had a coordinated time that I would call. I say hello. And first sentence out of her mouth is, I want to be a kitten. (laughs) (laughs) It was so funny and so endearing because initially, to be honest, Tommaso, I thought this nickname you gave the groups, these two trips I had back to back, Kitten Club, I thought it was kind of juvenile maybe to say on the podcast, but I stand corrected. Sailor's humor. That's true. But we've had so many people compliment it, want to be part of it, as a matter of fact. Oh, yes. Right before I came up here to record this, our new bestie Danny from California, (laughs) he sent me an email and he said, so I just want to give you a little more details about who I'm traveling with. My wife, my daughter, and two other people. Four women and me. That makes Kitten Club three. (laughs) Danny, I'm sorry. I've got a trademark on that. And uh, I I don't give you permission. And uh, Or unless you pay. (laughs) Send us a big check for the rights. (laughs) Anyway, so in the end, I guess Kitten Club is a fine moniker for these two incredible back-to-back road trips I did, and I hope to have many more in the future. They don't all have to be women. I think maybe I should start up and do just take guys. It's a good idea. I'll come up with a name for that. (laughs) (laughs) Tommaso's uh, left without a comment for a change. He's thinking. No, no, no. But this is (laughs) (laughs) G-rated. True. Okay, so that's it. Ci sentiamo la settimana prossima. We'll see you next week with our last episode of this road trip. And from there, we're taking you all over the rest of Italy. So, grazie mille amici e ciao ciao. Ciao ciao.